thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Sermon passage for today is Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go and anoint him. Very early in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a word of love to us that you long for us not just to hear it, but to understand it and to live it out. And Father, we're incapable of doing that on our own. So pray that you would fall on us now, that your spirit would be with us, that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to what you have to say, because I have nothing worth saying, and you alone have the words of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Cedar Springs. Um, as Mike talked about in his prayer, James is with some of our ministry partners in the UAE and in India and encouraging them. So you're stuck with me today, finishing up our series on the Gospel of Mark. And we started in the fall looking at the person of Jesus and then the purpose of Jesus, what, who he is and why he came. We find ourselves to a kind of a very familiar point. And Here's something interesting. There probably was at least a couple of you for a moment this morning that go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know I lost an hour of sleep, but is it Easter? Like, is it Easter Sunday? I thought about like wearing all pastels. I thought about getting up and saying he is risen to see how many people say he is risen indeed. But you know what? Some of you think you're at the 930 service and that's enough right now. So that's hard. It is hard when it's a time change and it's rainy and it's spring break. So you get mad props just for being here. But let me encourage you. This is the easy place where we go on autopilot, right? It's a story we're familiar with. We hear it all the time, and you'll hear it again in four weeks. It's one of those things you're like, yeah, I get it. I understand it. Let me challenge you on that. Because we all have those stories, don't we, in our families? You have the stories that everybody knows. Maybe it's about a crazy uncle and something that happened at Christmas. Maybe something that happened on vacation. Maybe it's how your parents met, and you've heard that story like a thousand times. Maybe you have a family member who waddled across like a crosswalk, like a penguin. Maybe you got knocked out by your dog that was pulling on your coat. I don't know what your story is, but you've got stories like that. The ones where as soon as you start it, everyone else in the family finishes it, right? 
Remember that time that grandpa lost his dentures in the cake? Yes, whatever that might be. I want to encourage you, don't let yourself go there today. Don't let yourself just kind of miss what God has to say to you through his word today. Because typically on Easter, we're like one point sermons. It's been a long Lenten season. We're tired and exhausted. You've got to go to lunch. More people need to come in. One point he's risen. Go out. Have fun. Today, we're going to take a little time. We're going to look at what the implications are because there are great implications for us if the resurrection actually happened. It's important. And what we're going to do is we're going to look and see what God does for the women who go to the tomb and how he does those very same things for us. Which I think is an important place to start is the context of what's happening. We've got these three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, and Salome, who early in the morning, the day after the Sabbath, they've been obeying the Sabbath laws, which means you're not allowed to do anything on the Sabbath, but they had prepared in advance, bought spices, and showed up early that very next day after the Sabbath to put spices and perfume on the body. As a way to love and care for Jesus. Most likely the last three people at the cross are the first three people at the tomb. And this was not like an embalming thing. This was more of just something you did for love. And it was costly. These things were not easy to find or acquire. So this would have been a costly sacrifice of love for them. And I think it's important for us to understand right off the bat, there are no disciples there. These guys who said that they would go to the death with Jesus are nowhere to be found on this morning. And these women are not expecting a resurrection. They weren't expecting it. Yes, they had heard it as Jesus had talked to the disciples and they were around for that. But they came with these spices to put on a dead body. And as they approach the tomb, God meets them in some really cool ways. So the four things we're going to look at for them and for us today is that God's made a way, that God gives us hope and peace, that he finds us, and that he sends us out. So he's made a way. They've gone, they've had this great plan in place, they bought the spices, they're going to the tomb, and on the journey they realize something is wrong with their plan. They had a problem, a big problem, a boulder-sized problem. On the way, they realize, oh, wait a minute, the tomb is sealed. What are we going to do? And I'm sure this has happened to you from time to time. If you've gone on vacation, you've packed the car, you've thought, you've checked the list multiple times, and you're about an hour down the road and you start going through the mental checklist again. Like, okay, do I have this? Do I have that? And you're like, that. we didn't lock the house. We didn't put the alarm on. I don't have any underwear. We have no sunscreen. It's like, whatever that is, that moment comes and you're like, oh. Somewhere along the journey, that moment came for them of like, we hadn't thought about this. And there was this helplessness. It was like, who's going to move it? We can't do it. And the beauty of that moment, that helpless moment of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. But you know what I love about them? They didn't turn around and go home and quit. That would have been the easiest thing, wouldn't it? Be like, well, we didn't think about that. Oh, well, just go home, save the spices for the next dead person we know, okay? We tried, we did our best, you know, God's going to give us credit for that. They kept going with no answer. Hoping, maybe, who knows? And for us, we also have something that keeps us from God. A bolder size, an insurmountable thing, which is our sin, that keeps us from him as they were going to go to the tomb and couldn't get to Jesus in the same way that God is far from us because of our sin. And he has taken care of that. 
He has found a way for that. He has made a way for that. And for some of you this morning, that feels very personal. That's not a like foreign concept. You came this morning and you think, you know what stands between me and God? My guilt, my shame, my sin, my habits, my doubts, my discouragements. You feel very far from God and the distance feels insurmountable when you look at all the obstacles. And can I say on the front end, if that's where you are this morning, I am so proud of you for being here. A rainy spring break, lost an hour Sunday. If that's where your heart was, the easiest thing for you to do is to go back to bed. And yet there was something in you that longed for more and wanted to enter in and push into this place. And my hope and prayer is that you find God here. And I believe in my heart of hearts that you will. Because as they turn the corner, as they see the tomb, the the stone had been rolled away. Nothing they did. They hadn't done anything. They didn't get a troop of guys to come push it across. Nothing. It was done for them by God. The thing they could not do for themselves. So in the same way as he moved the stone, he has removed our sins from us. In the same way, what he has done is he has taken out all the excuses, all the things that we might put between us and him. He has taken away our guilt and shame. He has taken away our sin and our struggles. So Romans reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. As we talked about last week, when James talked about the curtain being torn in two, we now have the ability to go where God is, to be with him, not just here and be able to come like before his throne room of grace with confidence, but one day we will be with him. He made a way for them. He makes a way for us. But that wasn't just enough. It wasn't enough just to make a way for them to walk through into the tomb. The next thing he has to do is he gives us hope and peace as a part of that. Because honestly, an empty tomb just brings a lot of questions. Like if you walked into the tomb, am I in the right tomb? Am I, what what happened to the body? It's the same thing that Mary asked in our gospel reading from John. Who took the body? It must be somewhere else. It needed not only the action of God, but needed the revelation of God. And we needed to be able to understand what took place and what happened. So God sends a messenger. As they enter into the tomb, there's a messenger there. We're told it's a young man based on his dress and based on his revelations and what he speaks and knows, we find it to be an angel. And that angel was sent by God to speak to the women. And what I love about the gospel of Mark, it starts with a messenger, John the Baptist, telling the people what God is going to do. And it ends with a messenger, an angel speaking of what God has done. This beautiful bookended picture of what goes on. And as he goes in and they go in, they find themselves alarmed. I don't love the translation of that word. Not that I'm some kind of linguistic scholar, but it is a Greek word of two very passionate, emotional, like verbs at once. Mark is one of the, is the only gospel that uses it. And one other place you find it is how Jesus felt in the garden of Gethsemane. So when he is overcome and overwhelmed by the possibility of taking this cup, he is sweating drops of blood. He is praying for God's will to be done. It's the same word that's used of him. An alarm just doesn't feel strong enough. Overcome, overwhelmed, distraught. That's more like the emotion that they felt walking into the tomb. Yes, overcome by the, this, the, the, what they felt about this loss. They've lost Jesus. There's grief that goes along. They don't know what to do with that. But also how to handle 
that his body is not there. And so what the angel does so beautifully is gives them a word of peace. He says, do not be alarmed. Now, mind you, they didn't have a conversation of, gosh, I feel very alarmed by the fact that the thing has been rolled over and I've walked in. I'm alarmed right now. No, they felt alarmed and God knew that. And God spoke to that through his angel. The very thing they felt, it's basically what he's saying is, I know how you feel. I know exactly what emotions are stirring in your heart right now. And I have an answer to that. Don't be alarmed. Just keep listening. Just keep looking. Just keep seeing. Just keep leaning in. And that should give us great hope that we know the God of the universe knows our emotions and how we feel. But to the extent that he comes to bring peace to those feelings and emotions. He knows what stirred up in you this morning. He knows those of you that are grieving, those of you that are stressed, those of you that are struggling, those of you that just don't know what the next day holds. He knows how you feel. And he speaks into that and he speaks words of peace to you today. Doesn't stop there. Don't be alarmed. Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Because the second thing they're probably thinking as they walk into this tomb is wrong tomb. We thought it was sealed. We walk in, there's no body. It's open. Uh, awkward. Like we totally walked in some other dude's tomb and he's not there either. Oh wow, this is weird. And so the angel wants to know, no, no, no. You're right where you're supposed to be. Jesus, the Nazareth, who was crucified. He wants to make sure they know this wasn't Jesus was asleep and woke up. He wasn't in a coma. He wasn't faking and this all. He was dead, crucified, done, over. They needed to know the truth of what they were looking for. He said, you're seeking for this, but not here. And that's what he says next. He is not here. Again, that brings so many more questions maybe than it does answers. He's not here. Not where they expected him. Not where they were looking for him. He's not here. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when we find ourselves overwhelmed by the things of this world and things of life, that phrase rings into our hearts and into our minds. It's been a heavy month for me. It's a privilege as a pastor to walk through people's lives and the difficult things. I'm so thankful for it. But at times it just gets overwhelming by it all. My dad's like best friend passed away. I had two high school friends who both lost parents in the last three weeks and how overwhelming that is. I've walked with people who have sick kids. One who's a friend of mine whose son almost died. I've had people who are really struggling with like besetting sin and struggling with diagnoses. I've had people who are hurt by the church or hurt by me that were sitting down and having conversations. And I have found myself weary and teary and exhausted by it all. Just wondering, where, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of all this hurt and pain? All these things that feel like they surround us at all times. I guarantee you there's a word up there that describes you today. Where are you? And what we feel like we hear is he's not here. He's not here. He's not here where I need him most in the midst. And if we believe that lie, we find ourselves in great despair. And what I love is the angel's message doesn't stop there. He is not here because he is risen. 
It's not because he's too busy. It's not because he's too bored. It's not because he has better things to do. He is risen. He feels the pain, the difficulties, the circumstances, the things and places where we are overcome and overwhelmed. And he says, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again to the cross. His death on the cross defeated sin and the empty tomb defeats death and the things of this world that we might have hope. We might have perspective that the things of this world will not win in the end. If you are struggling with a disease, even if it defeats your body, it will not defeat you in the end. If you're following Jesus Christ. Whatever anxious thoughts, whatever like stress, whatever concerns, whatever worries, whatever issues in relationships or workplace or anything else, if you are in Christ, they do not win because Christ did. If Christ rose again, he has defeated this world. If he rose, so will we. So as much and as terrible and as awful as the things of this world are, they pale in comparison to what awaits us with him forever. He is risen so we might be one day to be with him. That is a message of hope and a message of peace that we need to hear. And my hope is, as I ask you, think about what are those things right now that you feel overwhelmed by? What are the things that are stressing you out? What are the things that consume your thoughts? What are the things that keep you up at night? And what are you doing about them? Do you find yourself turning to alcohol or to pleasure or to vacation or to spending or to distraction or to entertainment, hoping it's going to just numb me out enough that I can move forward? How's that working for you? Because it certainly doesn't work for me. What would it look like to take those concerns and lay them on the feet that says, I've come to give you peace? The one who's conquered and overcome, what would it look like to lay those down and trust him with them today? He doesn't just end with a message to us. He then finds us where we are. It's the difference between, like if, you got, if you're struggling and have a hard time, isn't it really nice to get a text from somebody? It feels good. Oh, someone's thinking about me. But how much better is it to get a hug from somebody? Same person, when they wrap their arms around you and hold you, some of you don't like to be touched or hugged. I'm not going to deal with that right now. But like for the roast of us in there, it just feels good. That moment where you're kind of like, just fall into it. That someone is giving you comfort that your heart needs in that moment. Jesus wasn't just content to give them a message. He's going to find them to give them the comfort that their hearts needed. And what I love is the instructions the angel gives them. Go to Galilee. Guess where they just came from? Galilee. So it's like, whoa, whoa, we, we just got here. Like we just, we just got here. And he's like, yeah, go back the other way. But I've got all these spices. Just go back that way. Go back home is basically what he's saying. And there's a comfort in that. If you've ever been on a retreat or at a conference and you really met God in a deep way, there is a relief to know that God waits for you and has gone before you and he's at home. But there's also that kind of weird feeling of like, what what do you mean home? Like go back to Knoxville and find Jesus. Knoxville's a big place. I don't really know where I need to go. He says, sends them back, go back to Galilee, but he gives them this promise. 
you will see him. You notice there is no doubt. There's no you might see him. You could see him. There's a chance you're going to see him. You will see him. And as Christians, you know that promise extends to us as well. Have you thought about the fact that one day you will see Jesus face to face? See him. Faith will become sight. You will see him eye to eye. He will look deeply into your heart and soul. You will be there with him forever with joy unspeakable, but you will see him. It is a promise. It is put money in the bank. It will happen for those of us that are Christians and a great hope that gives us. But he says he's going to find you. And we, we read through our Old Testament passage, the idea that we seek him with all of our hearts, but the truth is he's the one that finds us. And that's our story. Probably everybody in this room has a story of where God found you. Maybe you were seeking after him. I certainly was not. And he finds us. But our part to play in that is the obedience to do what he calls us to do, to go to the places he calls us to go, to do the things he calls us to do. That's all these women were called to do. Just go. Be obedient in the thing I'm asking you to do. And you're going to see me there. So for us, as you think about, are we at the places where God is? Because we're not given any more specific instructions. Galilee, Knoxville. What does scripture tell us? That God is found when his people gather together. God comes when we gather in corporate worship on a Sunday. God is here. He's here. That's why it's so important for our souls to gather together. He's in his word. He can be found as we study and read his word. We don't just do that as this exercise that we're supposed to do. We do it because God shows up through his word. Speaks to our hearts, speaks to our lives. We see him with greater clarity. He comes to us in prayer. He speaks to us if we're willing to quiet our hearts enough to listen. So for us, are we going about the things where God is? Are we looking for him in the places where he says to find him? Are we with other people who are walking beside us to show us who he is? Are we spending time in his word? Are we spending time in prayer? Because he promises that we, he will find us in those places and we'll see him. We'll see him. But then the last thing he does is he sends them out. Sends them out with a message. And what I love in all of this is that this is the beginning of the church. We talk about a missions conference in a couple weeks. You think about your own faith. It started with God using these three faithful women. The first missions conference, the first evangelistic message right here. Go and tell the disciples. Sending them out. And the church that has blown up, the reason that we all are sitting here is by God's grace through three faithful women. How beautiful that that picture is for us. He was the one working. And you know what? They would feel like they just weren't enough. They would feel like they were not the right messengers for this. Why? Because in that culture, women weren't even allowed to be witnesses at a trial. So they'd be like, who's going to listen to us? We're not the right people for this at all. We're insufficient for this task. But you know what I love about God? He says, I don't care what the world says. They are worthy. Not only worthy, they're chosen. They are the three that I want above anybody else to go with this message. 
and he sends them out with it. But not only would they feel like maybe that their, their worthiness is insufficient, their message was a little bit insufficient. Would you think about that for a second? Let's pick on Peter because he's the most fun to pick on. Let's be honest. If they showed up to talk to Peter and said, okay, go to Galilee and Jesus is going to see you there because he's risen. First question, where in Galilee? I don't know. Okay, okay. So where's Jesus right now? I don't know. When, when can we expect Jesus to, like, to run into Jesus and see him when we're in Galilee? I don't know. They didn't have hardly any answers to what was happening here. And I think so often that's what paralyzes us from sharing our own faith. We're afraid of the questions we're going to get from other people that we can't answer. You know what? If you share your faith and they ask you a question you can't answer, you know what the answer is? I don't know. It's beautiful. It's like a wonderful way to answer a question that you don't know the answer to. It's unbelievable. (laughs) And then you find out and you go back and talk to him. But we let that paralyze us from sharing our faith. You know what he sent them out to do? To be witnesses of what they saw and what they heard. That's it. They weren't there to like preach some deep exegetical sermon. They were about to go and say, he's risen. He's not there. We're going to see him. That's all that we know. And that is enough. The value of message had nothing to do with how worthy the messengers were or how complete the message was. Had everything to do with the truth that went along with it. Remember the first time I ever shared my testimony, I was on a missions trip. I was 20 years old. I've been a Christian for maybe four years. I'm the youngest guy on the team and I have nothing to say, which is the perfect person to pick to do the testimony in front of a whole bunch of people that are a lot older than you and most of which you don't know Jesus. Great choices by everybody. And I remember feeling completely unworthy. And one of the guys on the team has said, just tell what you've experienced. What, what have you seen in Jesus? Just tell that story. And it was amazing how just starting to share that story turned into a lot more that I got to share that I don't know where it came from. If you ask me today what I said, I have no idea. But there were some of those guys that we were doing the mission trip with who came up and asked me questions about it later. Not because I was worthy, not because my message was any good, but because I had the words of life and I was called to hold them out to those who need it most. And I love that this wasn't a generic message, but a very specific message. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Two of the most beautiful words in all of scripture, right up there with Jesus wept and Peter. Think about Peter's last moment with Jesus. He makes eye contact with Jesus after he's just denied Jesus a third time and the rooster's crowing. That's the last memory he has. Can you imagine when he hears that Jesus is dead, the guilt and shame that he is overwhelmed with? How difficult that would be, how he's never going to get a chance to apologize. He's never going to get a chance to make it right. He never gets a chance to tell Jesus how he really feels about him. So that when the news comes that Jesus is risen and that these women say to him, oh, and especially you, Peter. He made a point to tell us and you. You need to hear this. You need to understand this. Can you even imagine the joy that probably filled his heart? Because it told him one really important truth. Jesus wasn't done with Peter yet. He wasn't done with him yet. All of the ways he struggled and suffered, all the ways that he fell short of what Jesus needed him or wanted him to be. And what Jesus says is, I'm not done with you yet. 
I'm going to come see you face to face. And we know the end of that story that Jesus does restore him and then sends Peter out. This beautiful message. And Peter. The end of this gospel, it's difficult because we don't have enough, like, original manuscripts. So sometimes you see people read beyond verse 8. We're stopping here for lots of reasons. But the idea is we see these women very reluctant as they walk out. But the other gospels tell us they did exactly what they were told. They went out and they shared and they went out and told the disciples. And this began this huge movement of the church and how beautiful that is. And it started literally with three faithful women just sharing what they knew. So my encouragement to you as we walk out the door today to this week, to this month, to this year, I want you to think of two promises that are going to be so important for us. If he is risen and we will see him, how does that change everything? If he's risen, then how does that help us look at the difficulties of this world, the frustrations we have with life? If he's risen and he is conquered and he is one and they're all going to pass away, how does it help us lean in to that difficult relationship at work or in your family? How does it help you speak up to the truth when people are doing something they shouldn't? How does it help you to love people that are really hard to love? How does it help you share the truth with others? And if you will see him, what can this world do to you? The worst thing this world can do is the best thing that could happen to you. How would it change your relationships and your hopes and your dreams if you know without a shadow of a doubt, no more issues, no more excuses, he's made a way for you, that there's nothing else that stands in the way. He has given you hope. He has given you peace. He speaks deeply to your heart to let you know how he feels about you. He comes and finds you where you are. He scoops you up in his arms, wipes away your tears as he does for Mary in the gospel of John that we read. And then he sends you out as his people, not to have all the answers, but simply to share what you know. And especially who's that person like Peter who needs to hear the gospel the most in your life today? And you know who it might be? It might just be you to be reminded of his love and his grace and his mercy as he sends you out. He is risen and you will see him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that it gives us. Thank you that we will see you. We know with great confidence, not because of anything in us, because of everything of what you've done and that you are risen that we have a hope that goes beyond this world because of the acts that you have done, and that you have conquered sin, you have conquered death, you have conquered this world. Let us live out of the hope of that today, to go and be your disciples in word and in deed, to share boldly about you all that you've done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.